the whole idea in this series that we're looking at, Change the World, is, is really, in essence, kind of the, what Dwayne prayed about, that this greatest gift is what has the power to change the world. It is what has the power to, to change us and to use us to, to move into the world. And, and so that's kind of what we've been thinking about. Each week I've tried to give you a little nugget to stop and think this is, this is part of the gospel message. And, uh, and, and today, today is no different. As we approach uh, Christmas, this is the last Sunday in Advent. It's hard to believe the year has gone by so fast and that Christmas has gone by so fast. Uh, how many of you are done with your Christmas shopping? Raise your hand. Y'all should be proud of that. How many of you are not done? How many of you have not started? Um, okay. Y'all do realize that we only have seven days. Uh, but, but statistics tell us that 40% of us are still not done uh, with our Christmas shopping. And that is because I think we're looking for the greatest gift. We're looking for that gift. Somebody commented about me wearing a tie. I'm wearing this in solidarity of all of those ties uh, that we will get uh, that we don't really want. Um, but I like my tie. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but... but but, but moms, you know, I, I gave my mother when we, were grow, when we were growing up, I gave my mother earrings made out of cotton balls, and I expected her to wear those. Um, I gave her this key that I found. I remember going to the Five and Dime and getting this key that was this heavy, clunky key that I paid $1 for. It was a necklace, and I thought it was the greatest thing ever. And she still has that big old clunky key. Uh, and, and so, but, but, but we give these gifts, because, and we think that they're like the greatest thing that we have ever seen. Um, and, and, and then we also the recipients of those gifts, right? I love eccentric gifts, people that just kind of give gifts for really no apparent reason, uh, thinking that you would like it when you open it up and you open it up and you go, what am I supposed to do with this? Um, the greatest example of an eccentric gift giver to me is, is found in Aunt Bethany. Uh, in Christmas Vacation. So y'all, y'all watch this and see if you've ever experienced something like it. Y'all look at this clip. We, we laugh because we've all been the recipients of that, right? I mean, we've all gotten something. My, my Aunt Bethany, it was my Aunt Louise. Uh, my Aunt Louise um, passed away a few years ago, but before she did, she always was notorious in the family for giving eccentric gifts, gifts that you had to figure out. Um, and so I remember one year we opened up gifts and I opened up and had a bunch of blocks of wood. And I knew that my aunt was a, a deep thinker and, and, and a smart woman. And so I'm like, okay, there is a puzzle to these blocks of wood. I, I knew that much, but I couldn't figure out what it was. And we worked, I, I bet you it was two hours. Uh, we all sat down as a family and tried to figure out how to put these blocks of wood together. And so finally my mother called my aunt and said, we had been working for two hours trying to figure out the puzzle. Can you tell us what it is? And she said, it's not a puzzle. It's just blocks of wood. I thought y'all might enjoy some wood. Um, and you're like, who would do that? I mean, who would just wrap up wood? Um, but I have a better one than that. Uh, if you think that one's bad, uh, my grandmother, she's 97, still living. And she, every year growing up, she would give everybody a beautiful sweater. Every grandkid got a sweater. And it wasn't the ugly sweaters. It was like good sweaters. You look forward to your sweater. And so we got our sweaters and we were opening up. And so this year, we, and always the tradition was the oldest person opened first and we worked our way down. And so I'm about halfway in the middle. So everybody's opening their sweater. You know what's coming, but you're just looking for your design. So they got their sweater, they got their sweater, they got their sweater. And I opened up mine and it was a jar of peanut butter. 
To this day, I still don't know why I got a jar of peanut butter and every other grandchild got a sweater. I've never asked her. I, I, she, she will pass away, and I will not know the answer to that question. But, but, but that you know, we look for this. We look for the greatest gift, and we we try to figure out how we can do that. And, and those are all funny ways to get us to stop and think about this gift that has been given to us. Jesus has a wish list as well. It's very clear. This, if, Jesus, if, if Christmas is Jesus' birthday, Jesus is very clear what he wants from us. He maps it out what he wants from us for his birthday. Let's look at what it says in Matthew 25. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. See, Jesus makes it very clear that we cannot separate our love for him with our love for each other. We can't separate the love that we have for God and the love that we have from our neighbor. That's the whole reason that we've been putting ornaments on trees and inviting you to bring presents to put under those trees is to remind us that we can't, we can't separate the love of God and the love of people. The very first week, we put ornaments from the high school football team as a way to challenge us to remember these young men, to support and encourage them. And then we put presents under the tree for the angel tree, the kids in our community who, who just aren't going to have Christmas. And then... The second week, we put ornaments on the tree from Kenya, and they represented those kids who live in homes that are, that are unstable. I mean, literally, the homes are physically not stable to challenge us to, to think about them and to push us to be in ministry, whether that's here or Appalachia or in Bartow County, I mean, in, in Henry County or in Kenya. There are people all over the world that live in homes that need work. And then I challenged you to bring tools, use tools, put them under the tree. Been seeing all morning long people bringing tools and putting them under the tree. Last week, we put ornaments from the kids that were in Art Reach, the at risk kids, to remind us that there are kids who need mentoring and, and, and kids who, who need people to, to invest in them. And they're all over the world. And so I invited you to bring just used gym shorts, things like that, that we can send to the Dominican Republic. This week, we put ornaments from kids in the Stockbridge Elementary and Smith Barnes School. They represent the kids who are hungry. Uh, the kids who get backpack buddies and our Saturday outreach snack packs. These are kids that we minister to on a, on a daily basis. And so this week I'm going to ask you to, to bring in used pair of shoes. So the smaller the better, but go to your closets, look for shoes that you're not wearing, that, that you just pass over because they're not the style or the color that you want, and bring those in so that we can send those to a ministry in Guatemala. All different opportunities to remind us that we cannot separate the love of God from the love of people. That's what Christmas is all about. And my hope is that we, we understand Christmas isn't just a a holiday. It's an opportunity for us to embody the truth of who Jesus is. Would you pray with me?
Most gracious God, we thank you that you are the greatest gift. And we thank you that we can come expecting you to work and move in us. We thank you for the hope that you represent and that you are to us. We thank you for the joy that we have, no matter what our circumstances are, the fact that we can still be joyful people. And we thank you that you allow us to mirror you, that you allow us to to be used by you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This idea of separating, this idea of not separating the love of God from the love of people is threaded all the way through Scripture. You can go and see in many different places where we see this. We're going to camp out in the book of 1 John. So if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to them. Or if they're on your phone, you want to get to them. We're going to be looking at 1 John primarily all morning long. Uh, We're going to start in 1 John chapter 4 and verses 9 through 12. So let's look at what what the Bible says. 1 John 4, starting in verse 9, it reads this way. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. So right off the bat, John is showing us this is, this is how God shows his love to us. By sending his son so that, that we might live through him. So Christmas, the birth of Christ, is God's love being presented to us. God takes his love and literally wraps it up in flesh and bones so that we might be able to see his love. God doesn't demonstrate his love with just empty words. God demonstrates his love with a tangible act of love and service. And then in verse 11, it says, this is how we're to love one another. We're not to love one another with just empty words. We're to love one another with tangible acts of service and love. That's how we put the love of God. That's how we put skin on the love of God. It should cost us something. It should be sacrificial on our part. Now, this isn't rocket science. This, it, we just confuse it in the church. We, we don't do necessarily what God calls us to do. And so I want to talk for you this morning a couple of ways that we mess this up. One, our love and commitment to Jesus struggles to ever give birth to action. Our faith becomes about belief. It's just what we believe. We never transition from belief to any type of tangible action. And so salvation becomes this concept rather than an everyday reality in our lives. We see this at Christmas a lot. Now, one of the ways that that I think we see it every year, I've been waiting for it this year, and I noticed this past week there were some conversations on news media outlets and things like this where this comes up every single year, comes up this way. Should we say Merry Christmas or should we say Happy Holidays? We get into this debate. What should we do? Well, I mean, obviously, I'm, you know, I'm not opposed to us saying Merry Christmas. Um, but I have a hunch that Jesus is more concerned that 30,000 people are going to be hungry 
I mean, 30,000 people are going to die on his birthday because they're hungry. I have a hunch that Jesus is a little more concerned that there are kids living in homes that are unstable. I have a hunch that Jesus is a little more worried about the fact that there are at-risk kids. I have a hunch that Jesus is more concerned that there are kids who go hungry on the weekends than, they are, than Jesus is concerned about whether the coal sales clerk is going to say happy holidays or Merry Christmas to me. But we just keep moving on with this debate. What's the truth is we're going to go through the next seven days leading up to Christmas, and many of us in this room, there's not going to be a whole lot of difference between us and the secular world with regards to the next seven days. We're going to fill our lives, cram it full of activities. We're going to buy a whole lot of gifts that we can't afford and for people that, who don't need them. And on Christmas morning, we're going to wake up and we're going to stay in our house. And we're not going to come to church because it's a family day. And the truth is, there's no difference between those of us who believe and those who don't believe. Because it's never translated into action. Is this how Christmas is supposed to be? It's not supposed to be a bunch of empty words. Tangible acts of love and service. We just complicate it. Here's the way I imagine it. When we got, we're going to go this way to today when, when service is over. My family, we're going to go to my parents' house for Christmas. And we're going to celebrate tonight at 6 o'clock. We're going to have a Christmas meal. We're going to exchange gifts. You go to my mom and dad's house, and there's these two pieces of furniture. They have quite a, quite, quite a few antiques, but there's two pieces of furniture that are just really impressive. Um, one is they have this butter churn. It's an old butter churn. And some of you may know what I'm talking about, but it's literally a bucket that you make butter with. Uh, people used it to survive. That was the cool one. But even the better one is my mother has this spinning wheel. And it's this huge spinning wheel that sits in her breakfast nook. And every kid and every grandkid, I can remember all the time, playing like it was the wheel of a ship. So I was the captain of the ship. And every kid and every grandkid, and I assume that the great-grandchildren are doing it as well, we all have played with that spinning wheel, but it was a matter of survival for the people who used it a hundred years ago. It was how they made their income. It's how they made their livelihood. And I can only imagine that those who used those two pieces of furniture for survival a hundred years ago cannot imagine that they're simply decor in my mother's house. And if you want to bring that to modern day, so I want you to imagine that a hundred years from now, the people who are worshiping in Stockbridge for our Christmas decorations, we put up our iPads and our iPhones. We decorate the walls with all the iPhones and iPads that we're using because they're of no use to them. And so they decorate it. They just use it as decor. Now, we can't imagine that because we're on them right now. Uh, and so we can't imagine that because they're our livelihood, right? But, folks, this is, this is, how, this is how we're living with our faith. We're using faith as decor that we just put it on a shelf we might pull it off in an emergency. We might even defend it. But the truth is that our faith in Jesus really doesn't make any difference when we leave here on Sunday at 12 to the next Sunday at 11. 
Faith is meant to be used. Faith is meant to make a difference. Faith is that thing that's going to to change the world. Here's what I would tell you. If you sit here today and you have experienced the love of God, if you have sit here today and you've experienced the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God, then we are called as followers of Christ to extend it in tangible acts of service and love. Look at what it says in 1 John. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Let us not love with words and speech, but let us love with actions and in truth. And what, what we've been trying to do all Advent season is to allow you to see right in front of you, there are opportunities abound. That's what the four trees represent. That there are kids who are still hungry. There are kids who are still at risk. There are kids who still need mentoring. The school systems are crying out for people to come in and be a mentor. There are still people who are living in homes. And they're in Henry County living in homes that you wouldn't want to live in. The opportunities abound themselves. Instead, we come up with multiple reasons to just... Spend the money on ourselves. Hold on to unforgiveness. Justify our rudeness. Our lack of service and love. Our faith is supposed to be used. It's practical. Not to earn salvation, but to extend the love of God. And here's the exciting part for me. If we will allow ourselves... To remember that God is always doing something new. Imagine what would happen if we in the church actually lived this out. Imagine what it would look like if just the people in this room at 11 o'clock in Stockbridge First United Methodist Church actually began to live our faith in tangible service, tangible love to the people around us. Imagine what it would look like if we, we continue to pour into these kids at Stockbridge High School. If we never forget and we continue to pour in to the kids in Kenya and Guatemala and the Dominican Republic and Tennessee if we continue to to make sure that we're putting uh, uh, food in bags for the kids in Stockbridge Elementary and, and Smith Barnes and we continue to work and minister to the kids at, re, at, at risk in the, in the art reach program imagine what it would look like and then that's a big scale look at it on a small scale imagine what difference it would make in your own homes how you would act differently to your spouse how you would act differently to your children how you would respond to your parents if we actually lived out this faith what's possible people deciding to embody the truth of Jesus Christ that's what I want us to be that's what I want us a church to be known for it's great to be known as a pumpkin church. It's great to be known as Backpack Buddy Church. It's great to be, I want us to be known to, as the people who are embodying the truth of Jesus Christ each and every day. You see what could happen? Unfortunately, we don't do what we're supposed to do. And the truth is, we know it. That's one way we mess it up. But let me tell you another way. We disconnect our commitment to serving and loving other people from our love of God. Meaning we serve. We move into tangible acts. 
but we disconnect that it comes out of a response for what God has given us. We love because God loved first. Look at what, again, it says in 1 John chapter 5. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. John's saying that the only way for you to love and serve other people, it has to come out of a response of knowing that you have been loved, knowing that you have been forgiven, that you've been shown mercy. If you love and serve other people for their sake, listen to this, if you love and serve other people for their sake, you will quit. Because somewhere along the way, they will let you down. If you love and serve because you're trying to do it because they're good people, you will stop. Because you will realize that they make mistakes, that they're flawed. See, our service can't be based on the character of the other people. And and use our trees. These young men in Stockbridge football, they're going to make a mistake. So our willingness and service can't be because of their character. Our willingness to serve the kids in Kenya can't be because of their character. Because somewhere along the way, they're going to grow up. They're going to make bad decisions. Our ser- willingness to serve the kids who are in Smith Barnes and Stockbridge Elementary. And the reason that we put bags of food together. The reason that we serve the kids in ArtReach and the kids at Stockbridge, I mean, at Stockbridge Middle School. The reason we do that can't be because of their character. Because somewhere along the way, they're going to make mistakes. We serve because God is holy. And God has loved us. We forgive because God has forgiven us. We share mercy because God has shown us mercy. There is a concept out there. I promise you this is true. It's called compassion fatigue. And it is a real thing. And what compassion fatigue is, is you look around and you go, you know what? I brought an angel tree gift. And I went in my garage and I found a couple of tools and I brought some tools. I didn't have any shorts, so, but I'll, I may try to go and get a pair of shoes. But I think that's enough. We talk about a Christmas Eve offering and trying to, to create generosity. Well, you've pushed me to the limit. That's an, so let me ask you a question. Where did God draw the line? Where did God stop? Where did God say it was enough? See, enough is never part of the equation. We give because we were given to, period. We love because we were loved, period. Generosity, sacrifice, it's just a part of who we are. As the people of God. Look at what it says. Or or let me read this to you in Matthew 6, 3. It says this. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. This is a clever way to say, you know what? When you give, when you sacrifice, when you serve other people, it should not be a big deal. Generosity, sacrifice, it, it, it it should be the most normal thing imaginable. Jesus did not come to this earth to give us a four-week period where we decorate the church and we talk about hope and love and joy and peace. Jesus didn't come to this earth to give us one day that we could be generous to our neighbors. Jesus came to transform us into new creations so that generosity and sacrifice and willingness to serve and to love our neighbors and all that is just a part of who we are. It's just normal. It's natural. And the only way that we can consistently do that is if it comes out of a response of knowing that God loved us. 
so we love others. God forgave me, so I forgive others. God showed me mercy, so I show mercy to other people. God extended grace, so I'm going to extend grace. There's so much in 1 John. I encourage you, let's look at this passage again. In 1 John 4, 9 through 12, it says this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Let me point out to you a couple of things in this passage. In verse 11, we get this. Emphasize, it says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. It sounds like John is saying, you know, okay, that we, God sent his son to give us an example of how we're supposed to, to live. And, and in truth, that, that is part of what John is saying. But I think it goes a lot deeper than that if we combine that with what we read in verse 12. Because look at what it says in verse 12. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another... God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. And essentially what John is saying is that there are people in Henry County. There are people in Stockbridge. There are people in Hampton. There's people in McDonough who do not know God. They don't know who God is. They don't know this unimaginable peace that we sing about. They're living in a lot of darkness they don't know what hope is. They, don't, they, don't, they, they haven't seen God. Now, if you remember the very first week, we said that Jesus came. He didn't give up his divinity. He came to show us a picture of what divinity is like. These people who live around us, they don't know that picture. They've never seen it until they see it in the lives of his followers. And so the question would be is, what picture of Jesus are people seeing in you? Because you're making him visible. And what the scripture says is what God began in Jesus in that first Christmas is made complete in us in the lives of these people. We don't love just simply because that's what God does. We don't love just simply to follow an example. We love to make God visible in the world. To make the light visible in the darkness. It's a reminder to us that we have the opportunity. And I would say that we have the responsibility to remind people about the character of God. That God is holy. That's why we mirror. As Michael said in his video. We mirror and reflect the holiness of God. My prayer, we got seven days. Seven days to not think of Christmas as a one-day event. To not think of Christmas as a season. But to recognize it's an opportunity that we have and a responsibility that we have as followers of Jesus Christ to embody the truth of Jesus. Let's put skin on our faith in the world that we live. Amen? Let's pray. Most gracious God, we thank you 
We thank you that you are a God who has come to us, that you are a God who has shown us who you are. And I pray, Lord, for every person in this room who has come to that place that they know you, that you've spoken into their life, that you have received this gift. And I pray, Lord, that we recognize that this is not a gift that is simply decor. This is a gift that we are to use practically in our lives, that we are to mirror your holiness, not so that we can earn salvation because we've already received that gift, but so that we can make you visible to other people. I also acknowledge, Lord, that there may be some in this room who have never accepted the gift. And I pray somehow today, through song and sermon, prayer, that you've made visible to them. And they realize that you are the light of the world. Help us. Help us to, to be people who live our faith over the next seven days. And then once Christmas comes, let us not put you back in a closet or back on a shelf. Help us to be people of practical faith, of love and service every day. We thank you. We thank you for your holiness, your awesomeness, your greatness, and your faithfulness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.